Well, January sure stunk. This is way over our heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, how you doing? Oh, that seemed unduly harsh, Jim. Where'd you come up with that? Well, it's a reflection of reality because, you know, although I have to say the one redeeming quality for me, as you know, a person who dislikes winter inherently. Yeah. I got to tell you, I kind of dug the temperatures in, yeah. in January. That wasn't so bad, but the loss of the sun whole nother story. Yeah, that's what you're referring to. Yes, yes. I know. Yes. I think I know where you got that line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish we had some musical accompaniment here. We could play Bill Withers' Ain't No Sunshine or yeah. the Walker Brothers' The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine oh, Anymore. right. Yeah. But, uh, but the orb reappeared as if by magic on Saturday morning this yeah. past weekend. Yeah. What was that? Nobody <laughs> could even recognize it. So we're talking finally on Saturday, February 1st. The sun came out. It was almost blinding. It's blinded by the light. Yes. Man oh, for man's earth man. man. For man. <laughs> it's also, I believe, a Bruce Springsteen original. I right? think so, yes. But the, uh, yeah, it was a bright sun that had been a long time coming. Uh, we spent 10 straight days without sunlight in the Twin Cities. And, uh, you know, obviously there's sunlight, but it's, it's behind the clouds. Right. And so... All you're getting is the bare minimum, and that's exactly what we had. We it was uh, it was dull, and you know, several years ago, a friend and I made a movie about winter in Minnesota, and what we heard from people was, as bad as the cold is, at least it's bright. And right. so, in the in that sort of middle of winter, in late January, you know, it could be well below zero, but then the sun is out. And what people said they really didn't like was the dull, kind of the dull knife to the throat, as one uh, as one person <laughs> called it. Of you know, it's not only is it winter with already low amounts of ambient lighting, but if it's also cloudy, it it, it can be uh, it can really add. And we know that people with seasonal affective disorder really struggle when it's cloudy during the winter. So January was not uh, for a lot of people, not a winter. No. But I hear you on the mild conditions. Uh, that we had a lot of pretty warm nights, especially. Not, not a lot of toasty days, but uh, nights where the temperature remained above 20, 25, which in January, that's a real treat. Well, we're that. talking about the, the darkness, the lack of sun. We should mention that a milestone was reached. And actually, at a reporting station on the St. Paul campus of the University oh, of yes. Minnesota, the Minnesota State Climate Office has been monitoring solar energy from the sun yeah. since 1963. Right. And what, this is the longest stretch of the lowest values since monitoring began, what, 56 plus years ago? Yeah, about 57 years of observation. And so this was the least amount of sunlight in any January. Okay. Now that's a that's an important distinction because there are other months that are renowned for being cloudier. January's one where we actually expect some sunshine because of those cold conditions. You know, usually when it's cold, it means the air is sinking and dense. And when the air is dense and sinking, it tends to clear the skies out. So even with that weak sun, it's out. Right. So that's kind of the classical January, you know, midwinter situation. December, on the other hand, especially early December, does tend to be pretty cloudy in November. So kind of late fall, early winter is where you usually kind of reach that the abyss uh, where it's just, <laughs> you don't get a lot of sunlight. Right. Uh, but this was unique in that it was the 
gloomiest or cloudiest or least sunny January in 57 years. Now, we don't know exactly where that ranks beyond, you know, the period before 1963. We just don't have great records. But we do know that the, uh, the old airport station, and for a little while at Chanhassen, they had a sunlight recorder that okay. was actually used to count the, the minutes of sunshine during the day. And the sort of least sunny period that we could find using that record was from November of 1972. Okay. That was pretty rotten. Uh, 14 straight days without any sunlight. Wow. And then when the sun did come out, it came out for less than an hour, and then it went back, and there was no sun for two more days. Uh, maybe it was, I guess it was actually closer to 18 total days without the sun. Wow. So, uh, so this was for January. What we just went through was pretty brutal, but we've certainly had cloudier periods. It's just what was so remarkable was that it was January when it's normally cool and crisp and clear. And we really, there was no January even close to this in terms of lack of sunshine. Right. Now, obviously, a lack of sunshine during the day might keep high temperatures down, but is there some advantage to having a cloud blanket at night in terms of um, maintaining a higher low temperature sure. for that particular night. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, and, and to your point earlier, uh, it does keep it pretty mild. It, you're not going to get super warm in the daytime if, you've, if it's cloudy. But at night, you're also not going to get cold. During that cloudy spell, the Twin Cities did not go below, I think it was 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, the average low that time of year is closer to 7. So... With the clouds, the lowest we got was 10, 11 degrees above the normal low temperature. And some of those nights were closer to 25, maybe even 30 degrees. So it was, uh, it was quite, quite warm, and that's exactly why. The sort of blanket of clouds was preventing the heat from escaping, allowing it to stay warmer than it would have been if it had been clear. Wow, interesting. Well, Kenny, a couple of questions from this past weekend. So we did hit... Uh, this past weekend, a nice stretch of warm weather, and uh, I believe we came rather close to a record. Two records. Two records. That would have been a record high, high we temperature. Were, we yes. were about two degrees shy of the record high on Sunday. Sunday the 2nd This is kind February. of a cheater, too. I mean, let's be honest. So first of all, why was it warm? Well, it got sunny. The, right. <laughs> the skies cleared out in that warm air mass. And boy, did you feel it. I mean, did you feel it on Saturday it morning for a couple hours? Absolutely wonderful. And I saw people running in shorts. Oh, Sunday morning. I mean, that's the thing about winter in Minnesota is get that temperature above freezing and people go to the beach. And I mean, that's it's true. It's, it was. <laughs> Our threshold of yeah, warmth is, yeah, uh, is very low here. Yes. Low standards. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so on Sunday, the, the record high temperature in Minneapolis was 48 degrees. We hit 46. This is a little deceiving. We actually did that just before sunrise. So we just had warm, warm conditions. But it stayed mild through the day with those sunny, sunny skies and westerly winds. The westerly winds made it hard for the temperature to climb much more. It's not like we were importing a warmer air mass. But stayed in the 40s. But the, the, the record that we did tie in the Twin Cities was the highest minimum temperature for that date, which was 31 degrees. So again, uh, that means the low temperature of the day was 31. 
and that was tied for the warmest low temperature for that date. And you got to remember the Twin Cities has almost a hundred and oh gosh, almost 150 years of records now for temperature. We go back into the 1870s for temperature, so it goes way back. Well, with the return of the sun this weekend, what would have happened in terms of high mm. temperatures if we had no snow cover? Yeah, we would have been warmer. I mean, that's for sure. There was some research at the University of Minnesota uh, about three decades, three to four decades ago on this question, because we know that the snow will reflect sunlight. So the sun isn't going to be absorbed by the ground as well. The sunlight won't be absorbed by the ground as well when there's snow on it. And the difference kind of depends on how clean the snow is, how thick the snow is, how continuous that snowpack is. And, you know, right now we've got a lot of holes in the snowpack. All the streets are showing, you know, the dark pavement and parking lots is mostly exposed now. But in general, the research showed that if you remove the snowpack from, from the ground, on a sunny day, you can add 10 to maybe 20 degrees. Wow, that's significant. Yeah, and on a clear night with snow, you might be 20 to 30 degrees cooler than that same night without snow. Wow. Yeah, so big difference. And this is why, you know, this is why having snow on the ground in the really cold areas matters a lot for that sort of surface energy budget. You know, how much heat is there near the ground? That's largely influenced in the wintertime by snow. Well, we talked about, obviously, the uh, highest low temperature record that we tied this past weekend. Is this part of a greater trend, Kenny? You've spoken before <laughs> about the trend of uh, our low temperatures rising in yeah. Minnesota over an extended period of time. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, you know, there, there's kind of two points to make. I was just thinking about this, and, you know, for listeners, we don't script our talks. Before we do this, we kind of decide roughly what we're going to cover, but right. we don't. So I'm glad you asked. So, you know, if you think of it, there's kind of, for temperature, there's really four records that you can break, right? Uh, so you've got a record high temperature, you have a record low temperature i guess it's more like eight you've got the record <laughs> you know you've got the lowest high temperature for the day true yes you've got the highest low temperature for the day and i guess maybe it is that Th those are the basic combinations for mm -hmm. anyway, so sounds yeah, right sure yeah, we'll buy it so the uh the kind that we've been breaking the most has not been the record high temperatures, although those have been far more common than, you know, setting new all-time low temperatures. What we've been breaking the most are those high minimum temperatures. In other words, just what we did on Sunday, the lowest temperature for the day being about as warm as it's ever been for that date. That is part of the trend of the changing climate. Now, of course, when it happens once, like it just did, we can't say, well, that's climate change. Right. But it's definitely a symptom of the changing climate. And it's not just in the cities where we know we have urbanization, which adds to the kind of ability to break these sort of records. It's really been all over the state that we've been seeing this. And we did have, we did have other areas in Minnesota this, this weekend that broke minimum or high minimum temperature records. So that's one piece. The other piece that's important that I, I have to remind myself and probably everyone should keep in mind that if you only watch for the records to be broken, then you're kind of missing what's really happening. 
Okay, so there are additional greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and these prevent us from cooling down. These greenhouse gases are always there. But, you, you know, you only get exposed to an air mass where you could challenge records fairly infrequently. But those greenhouse gases are still there. So even on days where you're not in record territory for cold or warm conditions, those greenhouse gases are there preventing you from being as cool as you would have been and adding, you know, a couple or a few degrees to the low temperature. So you kind of, a lot of the story, even though we love to think about records and what's happening with the records because they're newsworthy, a lot of the story is in the more mundane kind of middle of the pack. You know, think of, think of uh, a bunch of average students. Think of a bunch of average anything, athletes. And now if you give them something that improves their performance by a little bit and you give it to all of those students or all of those athletes, well, sure, up at the high end, you're going to see higher performance than you've ever seen. Right. But remember, those are still rare events. Like when we had the steroid issues and the performance-enhancing drug issues in baseball, it's still really only a very small select number of athletes who are hitting 65, 70 home runs. What was incredible was that you had sort of blasé athletes hitting 40 home runs. And this is the same would be true if you were to give uh, intelligence <laughs> enhancements to a group of students, right? You'd have higher performance at the high end, but you'd also have higher performance at the low and at the middle end. And this is something we have to keep in mind. We're actually seeing big changes in sort of the middle of the pack, watching what used to be average is now sort of cooler, you know, and what's now uh, sort of average is a lot warmer than it used to be. So, so we're seeing, you know, even mild days, just kind of blasé, middle of the pack days, a little bit warmer than they used to be. Blasé, middle of the pack nights, a little bit warmer than they used to be. Some of the biggest changes we've seen is not in the number of 90 degree days or the number of, uh, you know, negative 20s, but we're seeing big changes, big increases in the number of nights in the summertime that are warmer than 55, 60, and 65 degrees. And that's, uh, you know, not as exciting as some of the extremes. So it's just something to keep in mind that it's not just the records, but this is in motion almost all times. One thing we would like to do is talk about the impact of weather and climate on humans. And uh, there are those of us, of course, who love warmer than average temperatures this time of the year, sure. especially. But we can't forget that those warmer than average temperatures negatively impact some businesses. Not so much uh, ski areas because they can make snow and actually people might want to ski when it's a little bit warmer out and not bitterly cold. But we're seeing some real issues with the quality and the safety of ice in Minnesota to the right. point where some resorts are being impacted. And it's simply in some areas is not all that safe to be out on a vehicle or even walking on ice to yeah. go ice fishing, for that, example. That's correct. It's been tough. Uh, you, you know, and it's not every winter. Obviously, last winter was a banner year. So the 2018-19 winter was much needed for winter recreation but the predominant trend over the last few decades has been tougher times for winter recreation if you have a uh, a resort that's banked on one type of winter recreation whether it's skiing or whether it's ice fishing uh, 
it's become tough. You really need a diverse portfolio of offerings because the weather has not complied with the conditions that you would need. And that's largely because, uh, you know, we've had warmer conditions during winter and it has melted some of that fine powder into more of a slush or it has degraded the quality of the lake ice to either being dangerous in some cases or just poor for ice fishing. So you're correct. We, we often think of what we like individually and we forget that there, there might be ramifications. I mean, for better or for worse, whatever you want to say about Minnesota's climate, whether you like it or not, there are industries, there are economies that have been set up to depend on it, including agriculture, including outdoor recreation. And so you might really physically and psychologically and physiologically enjoy and benefit from a warm, mild winter day or a really mild winter in general. But there are going to be people in Minnesota that uh, really wish it would be cold and snowy because they've got businesses that depend on it. And there are also similarly ecosystems that kind of depend on the way it used to be and are struggling to find their way in the, the, the new fangled winter. Well, we should mention that this past Sunday was February 2nd, Groundhog Day, and uh, every year there is a ritual where Puxitani Phil, a groundhog... Never, is, never have I paid attention to that. Uh, I mean, never. Is As a weather guy. <laughs> with much fanfare. Oh, yeah. And uh, this year... Puxitani Phil did not see his shadow, which of course allegedly heralds an early arrival to spring. Uh, Puxitani's track record, not that great. Tell him. 40%. 40%. 40%. You know what that means? Anyone could do better than that. I mean, exactly. Flip a coin. Yes. You're more likely to hit it. It's unbelievable how how terrible some of this folk science really is. I mean, we did a comparison of, I hate to say it, one of the many farmer's almanacs. We did this in a class that I taught. And it's incomprehensible how bad it did at the seasonal forecasts. And, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, I just need the Farmer's Almanac. And, and okay, in their defense, what you remember are those weekly forecasts where they nailed it. That seems impressive, but then you kind of neglect or don't pay attention to those other ones. But the seasonal forecasts are notoriously bad, whether they're done by a rodent. Is a groundhog a rodent? It's a rodent, it's a ro- yes, by, yeah. yeah. So whether they're done by a rodent <laughs> or by some folk science or by professionals, <laughs> even at the Climate Prediction Center, we did another comparison where we looked at how does the Climate Prediction Center do on its seasonal forecasts before winter begins. It's unbelievable. In Minnesota, when it really counts, so before a very warm winter or a very cold winter or a very snowy winter or one that completely lacks snow. More times than not, the Climate Prediction Center had forecast the opposite. I think we looked at 18 years and the Climate Prediction Center had nailed five of them. Wow. Something like that. So again, rodents, (laughs) folk science, and professional climate scientists with PhDs, all fair pretty badly when it comes to seasonal <laughs> forecasting. Well, that's something we should talk about in a future episode about yeah. the reliability of a forecast based upon how far out it goes. Obviously, uh, in the more uh, immediate time frame, you're going to have greater accuracy. Correct. But if you're pushing out a week, two weeks, right. two months, you know, good luck. 
Yeah, and you know, this winter is going to be an interesting one. We were forecast to be cold, and we were forecast to be wet. And if we do end up wet, it's I don't think it's how everybody imagined it. And that's the other thing is, you know, the weather with seasonal forecasts. So you could say, I expect the summer to be wet. And you could be dry right up until the last week of August and then get, you know, 11 inches of rain and end up being right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, there's um, there's a lot going on in these forecasts. And it's, it is very difficult. And a lot of it's sort of beyond what we should reasonably expect. Um, but you're right. The, the forecasts for the next several days are generally all right. And then they degrade the deeper and deeper you go. And, and I think when the seasonal forecast for this past winter came out, you know, the one that we're in right now, I think a lot of us went along with it simply because the pattern we were in at the time suggested there was no end in sight. We'd been cool and wet. Why not continue that? But we didn't. I mean, we've been warm for two months now, and we're in a mild pattern, and we haven't been especially wet. I mean, we are a little bit above average for precipitation around Minnesota, but I don't think this is this is kind of what was meant. But it's easy when you're in a particular pattern to sort of believe, well, why would it end? But these patterns do end. And we don't know, by that same token, we don't really know what spring or summer is going to be like. And you know who really wishes they had a handle on spring and summer, Jim? Farmers. Correct. Yeah, exactly. They, and they need a good spring and summer. And it's hard to tell them, we have nothing for you. We can't tell you what it's going to be. For all we know, and I'm saying this seriously, for all we know, by July, we could be in drought. We have no idea. We right. could be in a significant water shortage by that point. We, we have no guidance as to whether or not that's going to be in the cards. By the same token... We could be back where we were last year, under way too much water, with everyone complaining about wet everything and farmers taking another beating. So uh, it's hard to do those seasonal forecasts. Well, Kenny, I think the weather pattern, from what we've been able to see in the days ahead, is going to be pretty benign. We're going to go colder, but not really all that unseasonably cold, correct? Yeah, we're. this is nothing. Okay. We, I, you know, northern Minnesota will go below zero during this week. Big deal. They should do that. They should do that in February, early February. That's nothing. I mean, remember, last year at this time, we had just gone through one of the coldest episodes in the last 30 years. And then we were about to start the snowiest February on record. And we're not looking at that right now. We do have a little snowstorm that looks like it'll affect somewhere in the southern half of Minnesota on Sunday or so. I'm not sure if we're going to get another show in before then. So that's kind of our one, you know, and then it looks like we might be entering a more active pattern. It's showing up on not just the American model, but the European model. And that always gives it a little more credibility because the European model is way better than the American one. But that's a pattern that's about, you know, six to 10 days away yet. So by the time this particular podcast is getting stale and ready to be replenished we might be in a new pattern but okay. not until the very end of that period well we may have a lot more to talk about next time around but let's tee this up kenny i was just thinking about this when you mentioned the unreliability of puxatani phil 
and weather lore and truisms and you know what do they used to call them wives tales yeah uh, you I think know. you could just call it old spouses tales old spouses tales yeah, yes sure. exactly um, that would be a fun episode, you know, sure. things like, uh, and some of them actually do have at least a grain of truth to them, like red sky in the morning, sailor take sure. morning. So we can yep. talk about that. But yeah. if we're going to talk about folk science, we should probably talk about the people, the things that people believe that aren't really true, like tornadoes avoid cities. Yes. They won't cross a river. Yeah, they won't cross <laughs> or rivers. Or they'll follow a river. They always yeah. go that way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Wrong. So, yeah, let's do that. Let's, All right. let's dedicate the next episode to talking about the things that we believe. And I'm happy to throw myself in there because, you know, Jim, my Ph.D. research was predicated on my own misunderstanding about the realities of science. I actually thought that tornadoes did avoid cities. And I was out to show it. Well, and the, but there was some evidence, maybe more 60s, 70s. There was a whole talk about the metropolitan heat island effect. Oh, and sure. And how that might, you know, knock oh. down convective activity or yeah, mute it a little bit. Yeah, but when it matters, yeah. right? Yeah. And the evidence being Minneapolis has had tornadoes go right into downtown. Downtown, yes. Not all that About 10 years, 11 years ago, yeah, 2009. And, and also... Right near downtown, a number of times, it's had major tornadoes, and so have a lot of other big cities, uh, including Brooklyn. So, this idea that uh, in Houston and there are I've Salt got, Lake City had a tornado in its Salt downtown Lake City, area, Miami, yeah. Fort yeah. Worth, uh, you name it. There's been quite a few, and so yeah, the idea that uh, cities are somehow protected from the big one is hogwash. However, from some of the kind of marginal ones, yeah, they are protected. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about that and other things people believe and have said about the weather and where, where the truth is and where the myth is. All right. Next time around, weather lore here on Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. We're at the Town Hall Lanes in South Minneapolis. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, have a great week and we'll see you soon. Thanks. You too, Jim.